You are listening to the Next Best Picture Podcast, and this is our review of A Monster Calls. Okay, are you ready? There we go. What color is that? <laughs> Maybe if we take a pencil, and then we make a face, and then we see the life in the eyes. Life is always in the eyes. How does the story begin? With a boy. Too old to be a kid. You're coming to live with me. Don't touch anything. Too young to be a man. I no longer see you. <laughs> what did he do? Okay, everyone, you were just listening to the trailer for Monster Calls, and the story of which is as follows. Connor is dealing with far more than other boys his age. His beloved and devoted mother is ill. He has little in common with his imperious grandmother. His father has uh, resettled resettled thousands of miles away. But Connor finds a most unlikely ally when the monster appears at his bedroom window one night. Ancient, wild, and relentless, the monster guides Connor on a journey of courage, faith, and truth that powerfully fuses imagination and reality. And the cast includes Sigourney Weaver, Felicity Jones, Toby Kebbell, Louis McDougall, and Liam Neeson. It is directed by J.A. Bayona and is written by Patrick Ness. Joining me for this review, I have Kristen Lopez. Hello, everybody. Hello, Kristen. So, you got your Kleenex ready? Oh, God, this movie. I told you yesterday that I was very glad that I did not go to my screening last night. I actually had a screener of this that I watched, and I was so happy that I did, because I've cried at movies. You know, I'm a soft sell, so I'll tear up a little bit at Disney films, but I have never sobbed. I'm talking, like sniffling snorting out my nose like hulking ugly tears like i did watching this oh and this killed me uh i was a blubbering mess when this was all over i mean this is so first things first this is not for kids this movie uh, let's be very, very clear. No, on this. my my mom saw the trailer and she said, "Oh, so it's a kids movie." And I said, "No, no, this is not the BFG. This is everything that the BFG should have been yes. in terms of its tone and in terms of the just the handling of the story. But as far as its emotional content and also the maturity of which you need to have as a viewer to handle this kind of content, I mean, this is for adult audiences. This is some heavy, heavy shit, uh, for lack of a better term." <laughs> Yeah, there's there's a lot of material here to discuss for starters, but also I think it really kind of pays homage to, yeah, what the BFG wanted to be, what Guillermo del Toro's kind of career started out as. Um, there's a lot of connections to Spanish horror here, even though the characters speak English. Right, right. Uh, I mean, and he started off, uh, Jay Boyona, uh, with um, the horror film The Orphanage. Yeah. And then he follows that up with The Impossible. Uh, that Which actually I hated. Garnered, uh, right. It, it, I mean, I, 
Mm, it's okay for me. I mean, I think that was like a 7 out of 10 or a 6 out of 10 movie for me. I got told that I was in an asshole for saying that it was um, white people go on vacation and have problems movie. And I still stand by that statement. I mean, I, I, I'm with you in the sense that, you know, we, you know, did we need to have a white antagonist family uh, or a protagonist family to follow uh, during this um, international disaster that impacted hundreds of thousands of people? Uh, it, it's it's kind of odd to take it through that lens. But there is no denying the filmmaking power that uh, Bayona uh, possesses. And he puts it totally on display in this film. There are some sequences, particularly um, these animated sequences in the film, because the monster, what he does is he tells Connor three stories. And throughout all three of these stories, the film like turns into this Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows part two animated sequence with voice voiceover narration from Liam Neeson that is gorgeous, um, completely uh, awesome in just their own uh, nature of in form of storytelling that if taken on their own as like shorts – you could submit all three of these potentially for Oscar consideration. I thought these moments in the film were just fantastic. Yeah, there's there's so much that is is amazing about this movie that I don't really know where to start. But the animated sequences, so much of that is deliberate. I mean, the, the fact that it starts out with watercolor and the second story is told in a more kind of CG stop motion, kind of more corporal type of, of storytelling. And then the third story being no animation. Um, I think I, I might be getting confused. Oh no, I think, the, um, I think you're referring to the fourth and final story. The, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think that, and, and all of that represents people in Connor's life. And I, I mean, everything in terms of capturing a young boy's perspective, so much of the storytelling is molded around his his part. I mean, if you it's almost like a, a living dream, which is kind of brought up a couple of times because you know your subconscious is drawing on things that you know, and so much of the storytelling in this movie is drawn off of things that he would know, right down to the fact that Liam Neeson's character is connected to his own family. If yes. anybody was looking at the pictures in the, the film, um, there is a, a Liam Neeson reference in there. So, I mean, all of that is very deliberately placed. But, you know, the thing that also um, fascinates me so much about this movie is that it's one of those movies where uh, just purely on a technical level, um, all departments, in my opinion, are just working at the top of their game here um, from the visual effects to the sound mixing, uh, to the contemporary production design, which I found to be the unsung hero of this movie. I thought the detail in Connor's room, the detail in Felicity Jones's hospital room, the detail of the graveyard outside uh, on the hill of Connor's uh, room, like all of that I just thought was so enchanting in so many different ways and very meticulously detailed that... I think it's an area of production that not many people would necessarily jump right out and notice right away. But I was really taken aback by, um, especially Connor's room, just how lived in it felt and how much it really conveyed 
his personality and his character to us as an audience. And I just thought that the extra mile that Bayona took to really, really make sure the craft elements of this film were as good as they could be really goes to show you um, the tremendous talent that he has, and also that the film is no joke. Uh, this is a film to be taken very seriously. Well, and it it stems from the fact that, you know, the, the monster says humans are complex and our things are what defines us, and that comes through the best with Sigourney Weaver's character, right. who has everything has a history, and everything is very in its place, and you don't touch it um, like a typical grandma. And so when when Connor has a moment and destroys everything in this house, the look on her face is just... I mean, I actually, like, sc- like screamed when, when I, the movie shows what he's done to this room because Sigourney Weaver's kind of passionately shown through how she touches things and how she handles things that these items had significance to her and he's just ruined all of them yeah but it also uh i think psychologically does a really great job of getting us to understand the mindset of this was he 12 in the movie something like that yeah this this boy they they say in the movie that he's too old to be a boy and too young to be a man so he's like caught somewhere in between and I think the film does a really great job of, like I said, putting us into this character's headspace with his actions and also with his desires uh, that he conveys to the monster. But really what it comes down to is the performance of Lewis McDougal, which for my money is the best youth performance of the year. Um, I was completely blown away by this this child, this kid, uh, and the amount of emotional strength and power that he was able to put through into this performance filled with grief, filled with rage, filled with disbelief, childlike sensibilities, adult acceptance. I mean, I was just completely floored by it because he had to do so many different layers, in my opinion. Yeah, there's. it's why I say that there's a lot of connection to Spanish language horror, which most Spanish language horror is falling back on history and and how, um, you know, Latin American countries have have dealt with war and suffering. And this movie plays on that. I'm thinking of Pan's Labyrinth right now. Pan's Labyrinth, yeah, or Devil's Backbone. Uh, There's a lot of similarity to Pan's Labyrinth in here. So much. I think this is almost kind of like a kiss and cousin type of situation because both of them deal with preternaturally intelligent children trying to cope with the loss of a parent and hoping that they can find some magical cure, literally. Um, Only this doesn't have the fascism that, that Pan's Labyrinth had. Um, I also think of something, if anybody's seen it, um, the film Cria Cuervos, um, which is a fantastic movie um, about a young girl um, played by Anna, uh, Anna Torrent, who is um, probably one of the most beautiful child stars that I've ever seen, um, kind of dealing with the fact that her, her mother has died um, and how she deals with that and, and everything. It's a And so there's a lot of similarities there. So Bayona's really paying tribute to kind of the Spanish language films of the past that have dealt with grief. Um, but, but Louis McDougall is just so fantastic. I normally shy from children and, you know, child actors because they tend to be overly adult 
in their performances. I think of someone like Dakota Fanning. Um, but here, you know, he's not overly intelligent. He's not overly childish. You know, he's got moments opposite family members where he kind of acts like an ass, but that's understandable. You know, the, the mantra that he kind of hears is when he says, you know, I'm not going to be punished. They say, what would be the point in that? You know? Um, and, and to, again, to throw out Spanish language references, Geraldine Chaplin is in here as his principal, huge, uh, Latin American following for her. She's been in a, a lot of Spanish language films, including Cree Cuervos. Um, mm-hmm. so it was great to see her in this, but You know, he goes through this litany of emotions and, I mean, even as a child, even as an adult, you know, so much of this movie, and and it's kind of a theme that we've seen in something like American Honey this year, is that children have a lot of stress (laughs) that they have to deal with, that we put these insurmountable adult burdens on children's shoulders, but at the same time, we want to spare them the pain of those burdens so we lie to them and that just confuses them so a lot of his confusion is the fact that his mother keeps telling him that she's gonna be fine and that's to comfort him but at the same time that's really confusing and irritating him because he's not a child he understands what is going on and to lie to him just gives him false hope and that angers him more i mean this is a movie that for me says it's okay to be angry about somebody you love dying it's okay to be pissed off it's you know watching someone with a terminal illness or something it's okay to be you know say i just want it to be done you know if that means somebody dying fine at least it's over i don't have to wait constantly on the edge of a knife you know for something to happen i mean it's dealing with topics that we've we've seen in other movies but i don't think presented with this amount of humanity and complexity yeah and and you know like arrival earlier this year a a monster calls is much about uh, accepting our own fates and the fates of others around us and how we deal with that um that choice that we all have to make when we do lose someone uh very close in our lives um, how do we go on um knowing uh, well, not even necessarily knowing, but just going through that pain, that grief. Um, and that story in this film is so powerful, I felt, um, and is totally exemplified, not just through the performances, the visual style of the film, too, but also, too, in its very delicate um, and very hauntingly beautiful uh, score as well at times, which, yes, is a little heavy on the piano and strings to elicit emotion uh, from the heart, but um, that usually works for me. So uh, I am going to say that uh, I think that was a nice uh, touch there. One thing that I was very unsure of uh, in the marketing for this film was um, going to be dialogue in this film. You know, there was uh, moments in the trailer, especially with the monster played by Liam Neeson, where he has like these really corny lines where he says like, whoa, indeed. Or, you know, he's like when he tells him like to break the windows, he's like, break them yourself. It's like it just sounded so corny to me that I thought, well, if this movie is going to be undone by anything, it's going to be um, the hokey dialogue in this movie. But 
what Liam Neeson does with the voiceover performance of the monster is that he conveys different aspects uh, to it, from menacing to playful to uh, spewing uh, wisdom. I thought that when all was said and done, that he actually was uh, perfect casting for that role. And same thing goes to Felicity Jones as well, who, you know, in the in the trailer also has a couple of lines, you know, that sound a little eh, like a little hokey at times, like like I wish I had a hundred years to give you, or if you've got to break things, by God, do you break them? Like you hear it, and it's just so melodramatic. But this movie, like I was, and I, I can't just say this enough about uh Bayona and his uh filmmaking powers here he just has a way of making you forgive all of that and just getting you wrapped up in the emotion of it all through the use of the like I said the cinematography the the lighting the oh my god the soundtrack I'm getting emotional just thinking about it now (laughs) I really am because you know, as we get older in life, uh, mortality becomes something that we start to think about more and more and more. And this is why I think a film like this resonates uh, so much more with adult audiences. And that's why, like I was saying before, it's not meant for children. Um, oh, man, I'm losing my train of thought now. I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I was, was going to say, it. I was going to say, this is a real kind of ensemble i mean i i think that we we aren't talking about this as an ensemble film but i really think it is because every character has a moment and they act on it really well i mean liam neeson um is just kind of providing a voice i think tom holland actually did the motion capture for this um but but he acts very well and knowing the backstory if you catch the photo that they show um, then you understand everything you need to know about what who the monster is. So there's a scene very quickly at the end when Felicity Jones is looking in a corner. And I was just like already bawling, but knowing who that character is meant to be, you know, that was just that that was it for me. Um, there in the fact that, you know, there's connections to King Kong in there, the 1930s version. Yes. Um, which I really appreciated. Um, Toby Kebbell. I give Toby Kebbell shit because I think he's a terrible actor. But he's really good in this movie um, in a couple of scenes as as Connor's dad. Um, and again, you know, you, you there it requires a real control of facial emotion and facial acting. And Toby Kebbell's character could have played kind of the good time Charlie, that weekend dad shows up and, you know, everything's great. And he takes you to the, you know, to the theme park and at the end of the day says, okay, well, I'm going to go now and we'll probably see each other again in like six months. Um, But you understand, and he is aware of it as well because he, he brings it up, that he can't handle this. You know, this is not what he does. He's not built for the harsh realities of life so he runs away um you know and and Sigourney Weaver's character who I loved so much in this movie um you know Connor sees her as the the evil witch because she she wants to talk the harsh realities of of what's going on um and there's a beautiful moment at the end when she's in the car with him and she says you know, um, what we have in common is your mom. And that's the only thing we have in common. And again, she's being honest and you understand how painful this is for her. I mean, this is a movie about a child dealing with a death, but it's also about 
dealing with death at any age. It does not get easier. It does not, there's not a clean way to do it. And there's not a clean way to respond to it. Even Felicity Jones, I think her character presents a little bit of anger. You know, Toby Kebbell's character says she had big dreams of wanting to go to art school and she got pregnant and that just, you know, that didn't happen. And she wasn't bitter about it, but it didn't happen. Um, and when she says to him, you know, that, that line about, you know, um, wanting to break things, you know, you kind of feel that she's pissed off too about the situation, that she's a young woman who is going to be fated to die young and, and, you know, with, without having achieved maybe even a quarter of what she wanted to. So, I mean, it's a, a great film that shows death from literally every facet. And, and I think that that's, something without having to devolve you know none of these characters are dropping to their knees and like shaking their fist at the sky saying why but internally you know that's probably what they're all feeling i i'm at a, lo <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm at a loss for words at this point uh because it's just it's such an emotionally affecting film yeah. on so many different levels i, I want to know i want to know at what point did you start did the emotion start? And then what point did you like be like, okay, it's over. I'm going over the edge. <laughs> uh, the fourth story. Because I... Oh, go on. The fourth story. Uh, Connor's story. Killed me. I would, I would say that my... I started, I think, right around the time before that. There's like a point, like 15 minutes or so before that, where I was like, okay, okay, I'm, I'm going. I'm going. And then by the time we got to that, that ending... Um, that I was, I was already like, there's a 20 minute moment of just like pure emotion. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, it, 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 damn, damn it. If it wasn't one of the most memorable experiences I've had yeah. in the theater this year, um, that, com that left me completely speechless and does so now. Let me ask you this question because this film is not tracking to do well at the box office, but clearly you and I both like the film. How would you sell this to somebody? to get them to go out and see it because ultimately that's what we want is we want people to go out and see this movie. But how do you sell such a, such an experience? Um, I think, I think people, you know, we just talked about this with hidden figures, they fall back on what they know and they see a child in this fantastical movie about a talking tree and they think it's a kid's movie much in the way that people thought Pan's Labyrinth was a kid's movie when it came out. Um, and I would say that if you enjoyed Pan's Labyrinth, but you thought that it was a little too far removed because it was in the past and it did deal with, you know, the, the residual hatred of the government. Um, this and is pure language. I, yes, yes. Um, this is all of that. I mean, um, for me, I think of this as being uh, like a Guillermo, if anybody's seen Kronos, uh, Guillermo del Toro's earlier film. Um, this is very similar to that. I think that what's putting people off is the, the child star, uh, the fantasy element, and the fact that it looks depressing as hell. <laughs> um, but I would say to all of that, if you saw the BFG and you liked it, and you saw Manchester by the Sea and you liked it, then just think of those two things coming together. <laughs> there you go. That are, that's it right there. It's the BFG plus Manchester by the Sea. Yes. And you get a uh, monster calls. I, I was trying to get that to rhyme with uh, E at the end, but that, 
going to happen. <laughs> exactly. I was thinking, like, is there a way I can rhyme it? Yeah. A, a, a monster call. Yeah. See? <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, if you feel like I love Manchester by the Sea, but Casey Affleck being a sexual harasser is kind of, like, taking me down a notch, then go see this, because it's kind of the same thing, only it's not problematic with its acting. No. There's, there's not many flaws in this film, um, but I do have uh, two that I want to just point out. So, Kristen, let's toss it off to final thoughts, grades out of 10, and any Oscar potential. Oh, gosh. Oscar potential, I'm just going to get it out of the way. I think if it gets a script nomination, that would be kind. I don't think it's going to go anywhere, which I think is a shame, because I could see it getting picture, you know, if this was a different time. I could see it getting director. Um, I could see Sigourney Weaver getting a uh, supporting actress nomination. I could see a lot of things. I don't think it's going to get anything, though, because I, I think it's just falling way too short under the radar. And I don't know what could have changed. I mean, I don't remember the marketing campaign or how that worked out for Pan's Labyrinth um, other than foreign language. Um, but well, it yeah, didn't win foreign language. It only won uh, three tech awards, actually. Yeah. So so, I mean, it didn't. It, all I can say is that Bayona is going to be the next Guillermo del Toro, I think. Um, and, and I even say Guillermo del Toro, I don't think is Guillermo del Toro at this point anymore. Um, I did not like Crimson Peak. Um, so I, I would say that Bayona's got a nice career that he's starting. So you want to get on the train early, but I don't think it's going to happen now. And I don't think it's going to get any Oscars right now. Um, but I, I loved this movie. I adored it. Uh, I think in a year that's been really shitty, um, with numerous debt, um, in terms of, you know, having to see... Um, so many people that we've, we've appreciated and loved in the celebrity world die. Um, you know, this is, this is really cathartic, even though it doesn't present any solution. It just says here, you know, this is life and death. This is the Lion King. If Simba was just like, my dad died, gonna move on (laughs) and try to learn to cope. (laughs) Um, you know, if you think Disney movies offer an easy solution to people dying, Go see this. Um, I loved it. I loved it a lot. And right now, I'm sure if I let the emotion drift away in the next couple of days, I might be, I might be less cagey about it. But honestly, I don't know. I don't know of any flaws. So I'm gonna give this a ten out of ten. This is going perfect for me. Wow. Oh my yeah, gosh. Yeah, I know. I was gonna say nine, and then I just said, "Fuck it, I'm going 10. <laughs> this is the first ten I've heard from you. So that's that's. I know. Cool. Yeah. Um, I hesitate to say 10 out of 10. I, I, I don't have it in masterpiece territory, but uh, so my, my big problems with the film are the following. I think that the message of the film is very, very simple, uh, you know, when it really comes down to it. Uh, but I think that that simplicity also helps to keep the film very much contained and um, also makes it very tight and focused. So it's kind of like a a plus and a negative in many ways. But so I guess what I'm saying is that the takeaway of this film, uh, you know, if if that's something that you think about when you walk out of a movie, you may say to yourself, okay, so the takeaway of this film is this uh, and that's it. And there's not much else to really take away from this. And uh, okay, so 108 minutes of my life just to get that message, which I already kind of know through life already. Uh, But I think, but what would have been, what would have been the way, what would have been the solution, I guess, to present at the end? I mean, because I think what the movie's saying is that their life and death are going to happen regardless, you know, and it's just the nature 
I mean, did you want a solution like his mom to wake up and be all, I'm better now? No, 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 no. It's not that. I, I, I just, um, I just feel that sometimes when you watch uh, certain films, um, that do get into that masterpiece trajectory. I want to be asking myself more questions and thinking about more things than just one simple thing. Um, when I walk out of a film, like with something like Manchester by the Sea, there's many different scenarios and many different character decisions and moments where I walked out of that theater, like, you know, questioning what would I have done in this given situation or what do I think the outcome of this was going to be or et cetera, et cetera. It just gave me more to chew on. I feel like this film, while what it does give me to chew on is just enormous <laughs> in terms of its emotional content. Um, it's still just one thing at the end of the day here. Um, and with that said, tying into that, uh, the conclusion of this film is very inevitable. And I'm not saying that that was a drawback for me personally. I'm just saying that for some other people that may watch this film, they may they may just, and this, this could be going back to what I was saying before, maybe turning people off to this film and maybe why it's not tracking to do so well. People already know, based upon the marketing material for this film, how this film, I think, is going to end and what this film is about. So they know that the message is simplistic. They know how it's going to end. And they say to themselves, why do I need to put myself through that if I already know how it's all going to go down? You know what I'm saying? I, I mean, maybe that's the benefit of the fact that I went into this cold. I didn't see any of the trailers, so ah. I did not know. I did not know how it ended. Um, but I, I think that you could possibly argue that you could see it because again it's why i say it's it's almost like a dream because it is culling from subconscious things um so i, I mean i guess i could see that i don't know it didn't bother me though so that's fun <laughs> i mean it, it's still one of my favorite films of the year regardless i'm giving it an eight out of ten um i am very disappointed by the lack of oscar buzz around this film i had had it in my visual effects predictions all year until it did not make the short list and I was forced to no longer predict it anymore in visual effects after seeing the film I don't know why it's not being considered for visual effects I thought the visual effects were fantastic uh as I was saying before the animated sequences I thought were great I thought the the monster was totally great as well I thought the environments and all the hidden special effects that one doesn't necessarily see were also really well done and it also has one of my favorite opening credit sequences of the year in dealing with um, art, of all things, which I really got a kick out of. So all of this in relation to special effects, I'm kind of, once again, at a loss for words in regards to that. Uh, I talked before about the production design of this movie. I would love to see it get a mention somewhere. Um, recently, the Art Directors Guild announced their nominees and it was not represented there. So I think that's over and done with. So now that's gone. Um, pfft, now ring it down here. Adapted screenplay would be awesome. I think Patrick Ness does a great job of adapting his own novel here. But once again, not going to happen. So, I mean, all we're really left with at this point is really sound a sound mixing nomination or something i mean you got to admit there are some sequences in the movie that are like tremendously loud um and the sound ha is taking the uh, many many elements so items breaking environments shattering um the monster and the effects that he makes when he's walking or whatever the case may be 
I, I think the film has got some really, really good sound elements, so maybe a sound mixing nomination, but God, it just kills me to say that that's like all. You know, I, I'm really, really hurt by this because I think that this film deserves more than what it is getting ultimately in the end. So I hate to say this. I'm going to say this. I think it does not get a single nomination on Oscar morning, and that is a real crying shame. So despite anything that uh, we may have said in this review that may be detracting you from seeing the film, I holistically urge you to check this out. As does Kristen. I mean, for goodness sake, she gave it a 10 out of 10 here, people. Come on. So, with that said, Miss 10 out of 10, where can they find you on the internet? I am at journeys underscore film, and I cannot stress this enough. If you go see this, see it, like, first showing of the day when there's no one around. Don't take people you love. Just sit in the top corner of the theater by yourself because you're you're gonna cry. Like, you're gonna cry. Just... Just letting y'all know that now. Uh, you can find me at Next Best Picture on all the social media uh, websites. And I'm going to say, wait for this to probably come out, I guess, on Netflix or something like that. Because quite honestly, I think no matter what I say at this point, I think that that's, the, I think that's where this film is going to find its second life. Is at home, privacy of people's own homes where they can cry and they don't have to worry about doing it in public. Because believe me when I tell you people... This movie is going to make you cry. He just said the same. Yeah. See, two two people saying you're going to cry. Just, just prep for that. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Player FM Radio. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you all next time. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased, and essential world news daily.